Thanks, Nev. Well, thanks very much for coming along in this sunny uh, east, uh, April uh, evening. Um, I'm seriously regretting wearing a jumper. I was just saying, Dolly, it's so warm, but um, hopefully we'll make it through. So this evening, um, this is our, the third part in our series considering the journeys around Easter. And this evening, we will be considering an encounter with two people that two people have with the risen Lord Jesus while traveling on the road to a village called Emmaus. And our reading is found this evening in Luke chapter 24, and we'll read from verses 13 to 35. Just as you're looking that up, um, interestingly, Luke is the only gospel writer to record these events and this encounter. In fact, he centers his whole account of the resurrection on this uh, encounter with these two uh, companions on the road. And as we read the passage, I would encourage you to consider and think why it is you think it is that Luke has chosen to do this. So let's read Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our com company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him we did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord had, has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon, then they told them, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking 
of the bread. I wonder if you've ever lost confidence in the gospel. Maybe there was a time where you were once walking closely with God, you had a real sense of his presence and felt confident submitting to his will for your life. But something happened that made you question if the Lord really knows what he's doing. Maybe it was the death of a loved one, the breakdown of a relationship. Maybe it was an illness or having to come to terms with the reality that you wouldn't be able to start a family. Whenever something like that happens, it's possible to find yourself feeling like God is asleep at the wheel or that he's somehow got it wrong. Encountering things like this can lead people to sometimes give up and walk away from their faith, or alternatively, it can result in our hearts becoming cold towards the Lord. Well, if you've ever felt like that, you probably can relate to these two companions on the road to Emmaus. They had been confident followers of the Lord Jesus and closely associated with the inner circle of disciples. It would have been just one week uh, since these two people had joined the large jubilant crowd of followers as they escorted Jesus into Jerusalem with much acclamation. At that time, they would have had great expectations for what the Lord would have done. They had hoped that he would be the Messiah, the new anointed king of Israel who would defeat the Romans and liberate the Jews. But even before the popular uprising could get started or gain traction in Jerusalem, the Messiah seemingly had misstepped. He had been captured by the Jews, by the Jewish authorities, and they'd handed him over to the Romans who had crucified him. One week earlier, these two companions had been riding a wave of jubilant expectation for what the Lord could have done, but now it seemed that their hopes had been shipwrecked. Our companions would have spent the past couple of days also in an upper room behind a firmly bolted door for fear of what the Jewish authorities would have done to them for being a follower of Jesus. And scrambling to make sense of the events, they came to the conclusion that it was over. And, and Jerusalem was a dangerous place to be. They had expected to reign with Jesus, not to die with him. They had accompanied Jesus to Jerusalem with the hope that he was the Messiah. But now he had been killed, so they'd given up on that hope and decided to walk the seven or so miles back to Emmaus, back home. And as they regressed down that road, they, came, they had come up just one week earlier. They did so with heavy hearts, disillusioned, disappointed for what could have been. But that was before they met the Lord Jesus on the road. You know, it's interesting to think how the Lord Jesus chose to spend those 40 days between his, his resurrection and his ascension, isn't it? He chose to spend that time appearing to and restoring his followers. Like a good shepherd, we read of him going after and gathering back together his flock. Think of Mary weeping at the tomb or Peter beside a charcoal fire on the shore of Galilee. Each interaction was unique to that person's need and shaped by their relationship with the Lord. And so with these two dear disciples, the Lord Jesus wasn't willing to let them disappear back down that road and over the hill, blinded by their grief. He went after them, 
to bring them back. And the main question that we'll be asking ourselves this evening is how he would do that. We will ask what our two companions' problem was, what was the Lord's solution to their problem, and finally, what was their response. So what was the problem? Well, as the companions walked back home down that road, the risen Lord Jesus draws near to them, although they don't recognize him. Overhearing them discuss and try to make sense of the events of the past few days, he asks them what, what it is that they're talking about. We're told they just stood there looking sad. It almost seems as if they'd, they've reached the fourth stage of their grief. After acceptance, they now seemed a bit depressed. But Jesus walks alongside with them, asking them questions and drawing out from them what their problem was. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Notice the past tense when they say we had hoped that he would redeem us. Their hope in the Lord Jesus had been relegated to a thing of the past. As you sit here this evening, can I ask you the question, what's the status of your hope in the Lord Jesus? Is it alive and well? Or has it been relegated to the past? You get a real, I, I, whenever you look at verse 24, you can get a real sense of Luke's irony whenever he tells us. Looking Jesus in the face, they say, some of us have even been to see the empty tomb, but we haven't seen him as they look the risen Lord Jesus in the face. Now, at this point, you might be asking why the Lord Jesus did not simply reveal himself to the disciples. Well, if the Lord had revealed his identity to them, it would have certainly convinced them that he had risen from the dead, but it would not have necessarily dealt with the core problem, their core problem. The problem with our two companions was that their understanding of God's plan of redemption was all wrong. They misunderstood what had happened at the cross. For them, the Messiah's suffering and death had equaled failure and defeat. This misunderstanding had caused them to lose confidence in him and his message. They didn't understand the role that pain and suffering and death had to play in God's eternal plan of salvation. They didn't really understand the gospel or the implications of the cross. Even if they did accept the resurrection, their faulty thinking would have left them very vulnerable to feeling defeated and losing confidence in the Lord whenever they experienced any kind of suffering or hardship in their own lives. So we thought that their thinking was faulty and they didn't really understand the gospel, but what was the Lord's solution? What was the Lord's strategy to restore these two disillusioned disciples who had lost their confidence in him and his gospel? 
What was it that would restore their hope in him and cause their hearts to once again burn within them? Well, having listened, the Lord responds to them with a stern rebuke. He says he rebukes them and says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that the prophets, what the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? And with that, he opens the Old Testament scriptures to them, revealing the cross, that the, revealing that the cross, what appeared so chaotic and final to them was actually the central part of God's eternal plan. What an experience that must have been. Imagine listening to God's plan to redeem creation by the very author of creation itself. Some people have called it the greatest sermon never recorded. Details of the sermon are minimal, uh, other than being told, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. We're forced to imagine the Lord maybe taking them to Exodus 12 and explaining that the spotless lamb at the Passover spoke of his own blood spilt to atone for the sins of the world, or drawing the stark comparison between the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and his own broken body at Calvary, or why in Psalm 22 the, the Savior had to be forsaken for our sake. But as they walked and listened, like a key slowly turning in a lock, slowly the pieces started to fall into place the eyes of their understanding began to open. And as their understanding grew, they could see that maybe the Messiah did need to die, like the scriptures had said. And they allowed hope to once again flicker into flame within their hearts. Sensing that this was no ordinary traveler, but someone who spoke with real authority, they urged him to come and stay with them rather, rather than to continue on on their journey. They didn't want the sermon to end. A bit like I imagine how you all must be feeling right now. But as he broke the bread and gave thanks for it, the lock sprang open and they realized that their companion on the road was indeed the risen Lord Jesus. That could mean only one thing. It was all true. He was the Messiah. He was not an incompetent failure, but died, yes. He died, yes. But he died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried, and now he was raised back to life, according to the scriptures. The Lord Jesus knew that his two dear disciples didn't need some supernatural or overwhelming emotional experience. Their problem was that their understanding of God's plan to redeem Israel was too simplistic. They needed a fuller understanding of God's plan of redemption as revealed in the scriptures. In particular, the Lord knew that they needed to have a meaningful understanding of the logic of the cross if they were to be confident and resilient agents of the gospel. The suffering and death that these disciples witnessed at the cross was not chaotic and final as they thought that it was. 
but rather at the cross, God in his wisdom goes through suffering and death in order to defeat death and deal with the problem of suffering. On faith value, the cross defies and confounds human logic, doesn't it? But when we truly understand it, we realize that its message is so much more compelling than anything that we could have ever made up. In his suffering on the cross, Jesus also deals with the problem of suffering in our own lives. John Stott once said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. He goes on, that is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. The Christian life, likewise, on face value, defies human logic. To some, it can seem like failure rather than triumph and victory. We, too, must go down before we're able to go up. We must give up our lives if we want to save our lives. We must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow the Lord Jesus. But as the Lord reminds his disciples earlier in Luke chapter 9, what good is it if someone gain the whole world and yet lose their very self? So what was the response of our two uh, companions? Well, like the aha moment in the final chapter of an Agatha Christie novel, or the big reveal at the end of uh, Death of Paradise, personal favorite of ours, everything now made sense to our two companions. And that very night, they returned to Jerusalem and told the other disciples all that had happened. The first time that they'd made that journey, they did so hoping that Jesus would turn out to be the Messiah and liberate them from the Romans. But now they knew that he was the Messiah. And the scope of his deliverance was so much bigger. He had come to defeat death itself and to liberate us from the penalty of sin. And their fuller knowledge of God's plan of redemption as revealed in the scriptures and the role of the events of the cross and their understanding that the role of the events of the cross had to play in that plan had now made them more confident and resilient agents of the gospel. So in conclusion, I'd just like to ask us two questions. So what do we do whenever we lose confidence in the gospel? Maybe like these two companions, our understanding of the gospel is too simplistic and we need a deeper understanding of it. We get this by steady exposure to good Bible teaching, by staying plugged into God's word. Maybe you could commit to a Bible reading plan. It doesn't need to be anything too intense to start with, certainly. Maybe it could just be a psalm 
in the morning before you go to work. And while we may not have the Son of God physically beside us, walking beside us, as Christians, we do have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Each time you sit down to listen to a sermon or you read that psalm before you go to work, why not ask the Spirit of God to open the eyes of your understanding and to apply his word to your heart and to your life? And let me just close by asking again, what is the status of your hope in the Lord Jesus? Is it alive and well? Or is it at risk of being relegated to the past? Maybe you need a renewed appreciation of the logic of the cross, that to go, down, to go up, we must first go down. That what might appear chaotic and final to us is all part of God's plan for our lives. And then in our light momentary afflictions, as we read in Corinthians, he is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So let's just uh, close in a word of prayer. Our Father, as we think of these two companions on their road to Emmaus, they were at risk of giving up their hope in you. We know, Lord, that that was because their understanding of the events at the cross were all wrong. And they didn't understand the logic or the role that pain and suffering had to, t had to pay in God's plan of salvation and redemption. We thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, that it does defy human logic. But in your wisdom, you used suffering and death to defeat death and to deal with the problem of suffering in our own lives. We pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding and that you would apply your word to our hearts this evening. And we ask it in Jesus' name.